Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast. I think that there is a significant risk to the organization if all of the board resigns and all of senior leadership is no longer there. I think that will be very impactful in a negative way to our boys and girls who are playing hockey. Will the light stay on on the rink? I don't know. We can't predict that. I'm sorry, but I I just shake my head when I think of the the responses Andrea Skinner, the chair of Hockey Canada, gave to the parliamentary committee. Answers like that, it just boggles the mind. Just think about it. This is how it started. We uh, we, we found out uh, through a Globe and Mail story about a special fund that had been set aside by Hockey Canada, multi-million dollar fund to pay for settlements um, for alleged sexual assault. I think some eight point nine million dollars were were paid out over the years. And the Globe found out that there was another, they had another, another uh, account for the same thing. It's, it's so utterly disturbing. And to hear the defense by Ms. Skinner of the management team at Hockey Canada in the way that she has. Get those other two clips ready for me right now, please, Tom, because we're going to play them right here, but only play them when I ask you to. Just give me, just get them ready. Let me know when you've got them. All right. So to, to hear the chair of Hockey Canada to say things like this is really troubling. Listen. I think that there is a significant risk to the organization if all of the board resigns and all of senior leadership is no longer there. I think that will be very impactful in a negative way to our boys and girls who are playing hockey. Will the light stay on on the rink? I don't know. We can't predict that. So there, I tweeted out a photograph. Uh, I think it started with Sheldon Kennedy at the Roy Green Show of a little kid sitting on the little boards at the rink. Look at that. Then ask yourself what's harmful to Hockey Canada. Here's another statement. Our board, frankly, does not share the view that senior leadership should be replaced on the basis of what we consider to be substantial misinformation and an unduly cynical attacks. You know, I appreciate that others disagree with us, but our positions are based on the information that we have and an understanding that Hockey Canada has an excellent reputation. Unduly cynical attacks. So... By, by being critical and being concerned, it's not a national sport about what we know, what we found out, what we understand is happening at Hockey Canada. We're, we're being unduly cynical. I didn't know that. I, I, I didn't know that we were being unduly cynical in this country. I thought we were just holding an organization with a tremendous amount of public funding and public trust to account. It's just mind-numbing. Anthony Housefather, Liberal Member of Parliament, 
in the Montreal area. Mr. Housefather is a member of the Parliamentary Committee who um, asked the questions of Ms. Skinner and has been investigating what's going on with Hockey Canada. Anthony, when you heard those answers, what was your response? Um, that tone at the top shouldn't mean tone deaf. And basically, unfortunately, the way Ms. Skinner and Mr. Brindamore came across was evasive um, and using the Trump tactic of blaming the media uh, and denying, denying, denying what everyone can see exists. And it was, it was very, very disappointing. Here's the, the fundamental journalistic question that is always asked first, or should be, why? Why are they behaving this way? What, what, what makes them so tone, tone deaf? Well, Roy, it would be interesting for you and your listeners to know that in the August 3rd ver- version of their minutes of their board meetings, which the committee had to summons and which were only delivered the day before the board meeting for some mysterious reason, um, before the, you know, the meeting that we had on Tuesday where we, we questioned them, uh, it, it said in the minutes they, they've hired a, a communications firm uh, called Navigator, um, and they decided that they were being mistreated, um, that the press was saying misleading things about them, and they needed to fight back and, and, and not sit in the defensive zone but go on the offensive. So that was actually what they planned to, to do. So a quiet fund, a non-disclosed fund, um, that contains millions of dollars to pay out-of-court settlements for alleged sexual assaults by players on national teams. So, so we're not being fair to them when we, when we talk about that and demand accountability. Well, well, even more curiously, right, there was the first fund that you and I have talked about before. Right. And now we found out there was a second fund. Yeah, the baggage car has a baggage car. Right, which they never disclosed to us when all of the discussions about the first fund were happening at two previous Heritage Committee meetings. Nobody thought fit to say, by the way, we have a second fund. And then the funny thing about the second fund that was set up to cover claims between 1986 and 1995 before they got insurance, which, again, it's perfectly fine to self-insure as long as you tell the people who are paying for the insurance, the players across the country and their parents, that you're doing this. But they never disclosed the existence of this fund. Um, And then Hockey Canada, when it was found out by a Globe and and Mail story, uh, broke it. Hockey Canada reacted by saying no sexual assault would, it was ever covered by this fund. Anybody would be, you know, basically outraged that anyone would even think that and that no claims had ever been paid out. But that was belied by an affidavit that was signed by their employee, Brian Cairo, who went before the court in 2019 saying that one of the purposes of the fund was to fund victims of sexual uh, assault claims. Um, and seeing that there were unpaid claims still from the fund and that Hockey Canada believed that there would be future claims, and, and yet Hockey Canada is claiming no funds were ever paid from the fund. So either the affidavit is not true, which would be a serious issue for the person who signed that affidavit, or Hockey Canada's statement this week is false, but they can't both be true. Now, and you're a lawyer, so, I mean, you're aware of the legal ins and outs of, uh, of any situation. And I would, let me ask you this, just from a legal perspective, if you have a fund, a moral perspective, ethical perspective as well, but if you have a fund that is dedicated to pay out um, money to get somebody to leave or, 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 or abandon a sexual uh, assault case or complaint, 
are there not legal implications in, in this? If you don't disclose this, is there, is there not? Does the law not enter into that equation somewhere? Um, no, I mean it, it, it's it's legal to have such a fund. Uh, I, I mean, and it's legal to settle cases. Uh, I, I think the real question is ethically. Mm. You know, this fund was really kept hidden from the people across the country that were paying monies to support the fund. Yeah. You know, they, they used very weird names uh, that would never tell you what the real purpose of either of these funds was. Um, you know, so when you, you would see one fund wasn't even in their books. Uh, and when, when questioned on Tuesday, Ms. Skinner said that because Hockey Canada was simply asking as a trustee for the provincial uh, affiliate members for the 1986 to 1995 fund, it wasn't even in their books. So you couldn't even tell from their financials that it existed. So, so if we're talking about the provincial affiliates, we know that the province of Quebec, Hockey Quebec, and you're, you're a Quebecer, yep. uh, Hockey Quebec has, is withholding its funds. Um, the Ontario Hockey Federation is poised to do the same. Hockey Sask issued in a statement, we continue to ask Hockey Canada the questions to which our members and stakeholders are seeking answers. That is our commitment to continue working toward an improved and stronger hockey system for our province and all participants across the country. But if you challenge and you say, look, you, you really should be leaving these positions of trust and responsibility, somehow we're being cynical by, by suggesting this. I guess then by extension, Hockey Canada's board may consider Tim Hortons, tell us on the bank of Nova Scotia to be cynical because they've withdrawn their their, their sponsorships. Exactly. It just doesn't make any sense. Sponsors, the provincial federations, the MPs from all four parties, and as you know, Roy, it's really hard to get MPs from all four parties to agree on anything. Yes. Um, the media, um, every hockey parent I've talked to pretty much, you know, everybody believes it's top management of Hockey Canada, um, and at least some of the board members need to go at this point. And, they're, you know, and instead of actually expediting this, they've delayed their board meeting uh, where they're having the elections, the, the meeting where the membership will elect the board by a month. It was supposed to be in November, and on Tuesday, Ms. Skinner said it was happening in a few weeks. It's now delayed until December. Well, maybe they're buying themselves new championship rings. <laughs> $3,000. Each. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and the most egregious thing, I think, was when I asked Ms. Skinner at the end, trying to see where she would go with this, what she would give the CEO as a grade, she gave him an A. I saw that. I, I mean, I, you know, it, it just seems that they're, they're at this point living in a different universe than everyone else as the way they see themselves. What now, Anthony? What happens now? Well, I mean, I think there's a few things. I mean, I think right now Hockey Canada is in a strange position as a federation because it's much more financially solvent than any other sporting federation in this country because of the monies that it's previously earned from sponsorship and things like the World Hockey Championships and the World Juniors. So it has more time than other federations would have to deal with this pushback. But given the incredible now cuts in their financing with provincial associations say they won't pay the $3 fee with sponsors pulling out, I, I can't see... This continuing much longer, I do see, you know, at least Mr. Smith and some of the top managers and, and the board leaving. But if they don't, I think that, you know, they're going to be pushed by, by the federations out at this meeting in December when there is an election. And, uh, and I think the new board will replace management. And, and until then, our Heritage Committee will continue bringing light to this situation. For example, Hockey Canada took a claim against the government to prevent the government from disclosing its financial statements. Um, it, it, like, like, again, unbelievable, right? <laughs> it I, I is. An, an organization that receives government funding 
wants the government, in response to an access to information request, to not disclose their finances. So what I said, um, you know, at this point is, okay, they're, they're going to try to resist in court, but our Heritage Committee can summons the documents, we could subpoena them, and we could have a public meeting to ask them about them if they want. Um, you know, and we can keep playing this as long as we, as long, as long as they want to. Yeah. I'm just wondering sometimes what it is that kids think about all of this. Because they're aware. Yeah, this is just sad for, you know, because, you know, I love sports just like you do, right? We, we, we want everybody in this country to participate in sports and yes, sports that they love and to feel safe in that sport. And, and it just seems with all of the information that's now happened around Hockey Canada, there has to be a change of tone at the top. There has to be a change of leadership for anybody to have any confidence that the organization is going to take the steps necessary to, you know, bring it back uh, into repute in Canada. And, and, and the only people that fail to see that are the leadership of the organization right now. Tim Hortons, in uh, their statement, after they withdrew their sponsorship for Hockey Canada, we've communicated to Hockey Canada on many occasions that the organization needs to take strong and definitive action before it can regain the faith and trust of Canadians. We're deeply disappointed in the lack of progress that Hockey Canada has made to date. Scotiabank, from Hockey Canada, we expect a tangible commitment to transparency with Canadians, strong leadership accountability with our stakeholders, and the hockey community and improved safety both on and off the ice. Ultimately, our position hasn't wavered. The time for change is long overdue. Tell us. Uh, we're deeply disheartened by the lack of action and commitment from Hockey Canada to drive the necessary cultural change. It's not cynical. No matter what uh, Miss Skinner may think. It isn't. Alison Forsythe is a former Olympic skier board member at Athletes Can, that's Canadian National Team Athletes, partner and chief operating officer at ITP Sport, safe sport consulting and programming agency. She was sexually assaulted by a former national ski team coach, Bertrand Charest, who was eventually sentenced to 12 years in prison for sexual assaults on numerous skiers, but had his sentence reduced because, according to the parole board, he was judged low risk to reoffend. How they established that is a mystery only the parole board well, you know what we've talked about on that. Allison, thank you for coming on. How are you? Well, thank you um, for having me, and thank you for that introduction. <laughs> and I also could have some words for that parole board, obviously, but thank you. Yeah. It's unfortunate parole boards make these decisions the way they do, and then they, <laughs> then they issue statements like low risk to reoffend. If you've got a dozen sexual assaults on your docket, how do you know that it's not a... One-time offender, even that's, I mean, you can't excuse that. Well, when you hear, what is this Hockey Canada uh, reality and what was testified to in, in Parliament uh, this past week, what, is, what has it left you with? Well, what it's left me with is a few things. One is astonishment, to be frank, um, in the way that they, you know, the, the dig their heels in defensive tone where now I believe um, you know, they're even basically taking on our government at this point. Um, so I, I was astonished that we're still in this conversation. Um, and, you know, it's interesting with the sponsors pulling out in the statements that you just read out loud to the listeners. Um, you know, what I believe is swift and definitive action is code for, you know, I think everyone would agree at this point that the leadership needs to shift. Um, but really, we don't look, have to look much further back than the last six to eight weeks where I, as a safe sport expert, could 
call out numerous um, missteps and lack of action um, that they have taken. So, um, you know, it's it's terrifying that um, they feel that the change, that they can do the change that they haven't shown. Um, and, you know, we at IEP know firsthand what it looks like to shift the culture and how to make a sport safer, and they haven't done anything even remotely related to that in the last four years, to be honest. So um, definitely need leadership change there. Yeah, as you were speaking, I just uh, was thinking that we're, we have different levels of, of this issue here. We have athletes who are alleged to have committed gang sexual assault, with the national oversight body arguably closing its eyes and paying instead of holding players and the organization and itself to account, paying out money. And we have athletes who are sexually, physically, and emotionally subjected to abuse within national organizations and programs, which is what happened to you. These issues yep. overlap. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's mind numbing. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's, it's safety is paramount. And I think, I mean, it's excellent that you just distinguished between those, between those two things. When we talk about the term safe sport, um, we are usually referencing, as you mentioned, the protection of all participants within the organization. Um, and this, you know, I, I don't want to say curveball. I think we should have seen it coming, which is the protection of the general public. Um, and I think what's interesting in this case that I haven't heard enough about, to be honest, is, you know, once Hockey Canada had this information and this evidence at hand, um, they could have, you know, stepped in as the complainant and should have stepped in as the complainant against their own players. So we have dealt with cases like that where, you know, I will not sit here and, and nobody, I think, should sit here and, and speak for the alleged victim in this case. And I only say alleged to be respectful um, but I also don't like being referred to as an alleged victim very often. But, um, you know, the victim in this case, nobody can speak for her and nobody should. And I believe that has also happened. Um, but what we need to remember is that they had a duty um, to actually prosecute even without um, her involvement, in my understanding. So, you know, there's many missteps that they've taken, um, whether, you know, an overt cover up is, I think, what we're dealing with here. That's exactly what happened to me. So, you know, above all else, it's hard to trigger me, Roy. You know, I work in this space now. I talk to hundreds um, of athletes who have been victimized. Um, we work really hard with organizations who are committed to changing. So we see all sides, and it's just, you know, terrifying to me. I'm very curious as to where are all their other complaints that have come in over the years around the seven other forms of maltreatment. You know, I'm, I'm very interested to know what has happened to all of those victims of bullying, hazing, neglect, harassment, physical abuse, and psychological abuse. Yeah, and they had a second fund, we found out from the Globe, mm -hmm. a second fund. And and it, uh, we only have a few seconds. We have about a, about a minute. Uh, Alpine Canada tried to, uh, wanted you to keep quiet. Yes. I mean, it's... Yes. it's yeah, so, so my experience there, Roy, you know, I don't, I don't mind talking about it. it you know I was sat down in a in a house on a bed with with my abuser and, and the head of the organization at the time and they looked directly at me the two of them two men um and said you know Allison we need to keep quiet on this or we will lose all our sponsors and you won't have a career and no one else will so I then to be frank that was more traumatic to me over the next 17 years until a victim of his was the first person that you know really 
you know, went to the RCMP and he was arrested within 12 hours. If that doesn't give your listeners an understanding of the egregious nature of our abuse, nothing will. Nothing will. So I know firsthand the trauma of not feeling um, supported and believed. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Today I'm here to talk to you about Health Canada's authorization of the Pfizer-BioNTech bivalent COVID-19 vaccine booster for people 12 years of age and older. This adapted vaccine targets the original SARS-CoV-2 virus as well as Omicron. For this reason, it is called a bivalent vaccine. So another word we have to get used to, and uh, there have been some interesting discussions on how to pronounce that that particular word. I'm not going to even try because I've butchered it so many times. I think my brain says, this is the way you pronounce it, Roy. And then people call me and say, that's not the way you pronounce it, Roy. But Health Canada has approved the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 booster vaccine that targets the BA4 and BA5 strains of the Omicron COVID variant. And that is for those 12 years of age and older. And it should be available in this country, we hear, by sometime next week, or it'll be in Canada. Dr. Isaac Bogosh, back with us, infectious diseases specialist, Toronto General Hospital and associate professor of medicine at the University of Toronto. Dr. Bogosh, it's been a while. How are you? I'm really well, Roy. It's great to be back and chatting with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I emailed you earlier today that I've been able to dodge COVID. Um, I know some people who've had it, and they haven't had an experience that they particularly enjoyed. It was a tough, tough ride for some folks. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you hear this time and time again. I bet everyone listening has either had it or knows someone who has had it. Uh, just through Omicron, it just swept through the country, swept through the world. And, uh, you know, it's it's not a mystery to most people anymore. We sort of know what it can do and, and uh, how to avoid it. Do you believe that most of us in this country have uh, had a personal encounter with COVID, uh, however it may or may not have expressed itself? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's really good data to back it up. Uh, there's some excellent uh, studies looking at Canadian blood banks and blood tests from Canadians all across the country. You can look at the fingerprint of COVID. And, you know, over time, especially during the Omicron era, you see this massive rise in uh, signal. So, you know, I'm, obviously everyone hasn't had it, but, you know, depending on what community you're in or how old you are, many people, most people, most people have had it. Most people have. Not everyone, but most. So, so what about this uh, new bivalent booster? How am I doing with the pronunciation, by the way? It's perfect. Right, you're a true pro. Uh, I, bivalent. I, the, first time I, the first time I looked Two at bands. that, I... What's that? I'm just making the dumb jokes. No, no. No, the first time I looked at it, I said that word and I are not going to get along. Oh, uh, no, you got it right. Yeah, this is a great okay. vaccine, right? They, we've got two bivalent vaccines. Right. We've got the one that we've had before, which was tailored to the BA1 sublineage. It's been out in Canada for a few weeks now. A lot of people have got it. And probably sometime next week, we'll get this other bivalent vaccine, which is tailored to the BA5. They've been using it in the United States for a little bit. Uh, and again, uh, it's really interesting when you look at Health Canada and the National Advisory Committee on Immunizations. They're pretty agnostic. They basically treat these the same. They say, you know what, it doesn't matter. Just get just get one of these vaccines. And quite frankly, I think that's 
reasonable in the sense that, listen, we're not sure how much protection we're going to get over time from this. It's not clear. Will this, how long will this protect you from getting COVID and for how long? But what's really clear is every single variant we've seen, the vaccines have done a remarkable job, a remarkable job in protecting people against more severe illness like hospitalization and death. Every country reporting data basically reports the same thing. These vaccines do a remarkable job. doesn't even matter the vaccine. They do a remarkable job in keeping you out of hospital and preventing you from dying. So we do know, though, we had a news story on earlier today that there are declining numbers of Canadians who are accepting being vaccinated beyond number two or number three, depending on where they are. They just don't want to do it again or don't feel the need to do it again. So if we've all, most of us have had already an experience with COVID, and if we've been vaccinated, we've had two or maybe three vaccinations, and we don't know just how effective or how long these particular new uh, uh, boosters are going to be if, going to work, why should we go ahead and do it? So I I would say if people are over the age of 60 or have underlying medical conditions that put them at risk for severe infection, it's, it's in general a really good idea to get these vaccines. Because, like, Roy, again, this is all public data. You can look at who lands in hospital and who dies from COVID. And it's not exclusively, but it's overwhelmingly people over the age of 60 and people with underlying medical conditions that put them at risk for greater, for some more severe illness. Overwhelmingly. That's who we see in hospital. That's who dies. And that's not just Ontario data or Canadian data. Everywhere around the world has the exact same data. So especially important for people who are over the age of 60 or who have risk factors because of their underlying medical conditions. If they are six months out from their most recent infection or six months out from their most recent vaccination, it's a really good idea to get a booster shot. Is it? And in fact, yeah. Is the messaging a little too general, a little too vague? Because we're hearing 12 and up. So should it be well, directed more the way you're directing it? If you're over 60, if you have underlying conditions, then absolutely consider it. Because if we hear 12 and up, it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's kind of vague. I agree. So there, there's two things. There's what is on those written documents, and then how is it communicated? And the written documents, I think, are very well written, but I don't think they're communicated well. The written documents say if you're over 60, they say 65. I say 60 because I'm in Ontario and Ontario says 60, but whatever. We'll just go with 60. If you're 60 and up and have underlying medical conditions, the wording is you should get it, and it's a strong recommendation. And if you're you know, 12 to 60 or no underlying medical conditions, it's you may get it. Okay? That's a big difference between should and may. But, like, I'm with the should for sure. You're over 60 and you've got risk factors for infection and it's been six months since your most recent infection and six months since your most recent vaccine. Listen, that's who we see in hospital. That's who gets sick. It's a really good idea to go get this. Okay. Everyone else, I mean, if you have questions, listen, ask your, ask your doc, talk to a nurse, talk to a public health specialist, go to your local pharmacy, chat with them. These are all capable healthcare providers that can help walk through and navigate this for the, for the individual. They don't make population level decisions. They make they chat with you. They talk with you. They'll listen to you. They'll answer your question. But you know, people, yeah, people have questions. Yeah, people have. Should. So, so can you tell me, uh, tell all of us, perhaps, or give us an idea of what's expected in this coming flu season, the fall and the winter? What should we expect from COVID? 
Um, well, you've already talked about that, but please fit it into the answer again. What do we, what do we what should we expect from COVID and the other flu viruses that may or may not appear? So, to no one's surprise, you know, a lot of these viruses have a seasonal component to them, and as we say, tis the season, right? It's fall and winter. Yeah, on our for sure. Step. We're going to see flu. We're going to see COVID. We're already seeing COVID. The flu signal is already going up in the States. It's just probably we're a couple of weeks behind. It's going to come up in Canada. And I think, you know, so we know they're going to rise. We know it. Like, it's no, no secret. We all know it's going to happen. The other thing, though, obviously, is the factor. And, like, let's just take a step back and look at where we're at in Canada right now from a healthcare system capacity. It's the pitch, right? You hear about emergency departments closing. You hear about not enough hands on deck. Like, you should do what you can to stay out of hospital. It always is a good advice. Now, we've done those interviews as recently as last weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, listen, if it takes a vaccine, mm-hmm. a flu shot to keep you well and keep you out of hospital, a COVID booster to keep you well and keep you out of hospital, it's great news for everybody, especially you, who's now kept out of hospital. So to the people who are listening to you and uh, who have been vaccinated, and they're shaking their heads, they're saying, no. I'm sorry, Dr. Bogosh. I'm done. I've had everything I'm going to have done to me. Are they just being foolish? Listen, I'm not here to arm wrestle. I, I, I'm not here to arm wrestle people. I'm happy to have open, honest, transparent, logical conversations. But uh, people have to come to their own conclusions, you know. Yeah, and, that's and, true. And that's okay. But, yeah. uh, but at least make a factual decision and make an evidence-based decision, not an emotional one. So you, as an infectious diseases specialist, are saying, and I'm repeating what you said, if you're 60 or over and you have underlying conditions, then get the shot. If you're between 12 and 60 and you don't have any underlying conditions, give it serious thought and probably get the shot. Yes? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. i would make one subtle, subtle change that adds a little bit of a difference. Sure. If you're 60 and up and or have underlying medical conditions. But if there's a 40-year-old who's got, you know, terrible, you know, who's immunocompromised, who has some condition, you know, you should get that shot. So 60 and up and or have underlying medical conditions that put you at risk for greater, for a more severe illness. Yeah, that's, that's a great, it's a great idea to get the shot. Keep yourself out of hospital. And, COVID- and this is exactly what's on the guidelines. It's, it's, it, it is actually worded beautifully. I think it's communicated very poorly, but it's written beautifully. Yeah, and COVID does kill. Oh, it does. Yeah, it does. It hasn't hasn't gone away, and it's still it's sad. It's sad. You know, it hospitalizes mm-hmm. and it kills, and it's just like this is preventable. Like it, it just is preventable. We've had a significant change in the political environment of this country, and that, of course, is that my former broadcast colleague. Daniel Smith is now the premier designate for the province of Alberta, and uh, Ms. Smith is going to be joining us tomorrow at this time on this program. But let's get started with Professor Dwayne Bratt, political science professor at Mount Royal University in Calgary, the author of Blue Storm, The Rise and Fall of Jason Kenney. And we'll talk to uh, Professor Bratt about what's going on in the province of Alberta now. First of all, happy birthday. Well, thank you, uh, Roy. That was on uh, Thursday. Uh, that was the night of the uh, uh, the announcing of the vote of the UCP leadership race, so I was working that night. But we had a nice get-together uh, yesterday with birthday cake and birthday pie, because why should you have to choose? Well, exactly. And Dwayne is spelled D-U, not D-W. 
W. No, uh, my <laughs> wife is blaming the baker because I would hope after 26 years of marriage, uh, Teresa would know how to spell my name. Yeah, but I saw you tweeted that. <laughs> I thought that's going to be doing great things for domestic harmony in the in the Brad household. Anyway, glad to have you with us. So let me start. Um, let me start with this. It's confusing for some people. Just stay with me, Dwayne. Jason Kenney left federal politics, engaged in the founding of the UCP was elected premier while defeating Rachel Notley and the New Democrats of Alberta. Um, Daniel Smith had left politics and entered news talk radio. Rachel Notley remained NDP leader, now is the opposition leader, and now Jason Kenney is effectively gone as the premier, and Ms. Smith is a premier designate, but Ms. Notley remains as chief competitor in next year's provincial election. People might be forgiven for being a little bit confused. And they should be confused. Um, to add to the confusion, um, Daniel Smith will be sworn in as premier on Tuesday. She will be the eighth premier in 16 years in Alberta. Uh, that's a lot. And as Jason Kenney showed, the only one in the last 20 years to serve a full term in office was Rachel Notley. Um, no other conservative leader. You've got to go back to Ralph Klein between 2001 and 2004 to finish a term in office. Um, and Daniel Smith um, uh, lost the 2012 election when she was Wild Rose leader. She crosses the floor to join Jim Prentice in 2014. Um, and uh, Prentice loses to Rachel Notley. And Brian Jean, who ran against Smith for the leadership race, replaces Smith as Wild Rose leader. So it's been quite this circle. Uh, but I will say about this with Smith, and this really needs to be emphasized, what a political comeback this was for Daniel Smith. Absolutely. When she crossed the floor in 2014, she lost the nomination for the riding um, a couple months later and has basically been in political purgatory for seven months. But she became a radio host, um, and she basically went on an apology tour for her actions in 2014, and it looks like enough people have forgiven her. And uh, so she has gone from uh, behind the mic uh, to in front of the mics uh, and is going to become premier. You know, and I will congratulate uh, Ms. Smith, who, again, is my former colleague as a broadcaster and chorus radio, and she'll be with us tomorrow. At this time, it is really quite a comeback story, and uh, now she has a lot of work ahead, as does the party, heading into next year's provincial election. Um, what? Let me ask you this. What positives do you say Dwayne Daniel Smith brings to the UCP today? Um, she's an incredible communicator. Um, she knows how to pitch a message. She knows how to build an argument. She's a very charming woman with a sense of humor. Uh, I've known Danielle for a number of years. Um, I've been on a radio show. I used to be on her TV show. Uh, I've been on panels with her. We've had a number of, of um, private conversations. I think that she's, she's quite smart. Uh, and she found messages that allowed her to win the leadership. Now, I've got some big issues with some of her policy proposals, uh, but I, you have to acknowledge the political gifts that she, she has and the hard work that she did to get it to this position. She out-campaigned everybody in the race. She went everywhere across this province. 
What are the greatest challenges she's going to face? Uh, Well, challenge one, which I think she's going to take steps on later today, is she doesn't have a seat in the legislature. So she is giving an announcement in Medicine Hat. Um, There's a local MLA for Brooks Medicine Hat constituency who is not going to run again in May and announced her immediate resignation on Friday. So expect that a by-election will be held in Brooks Medicine Hat. Smith will go there. It's a very safe UCP riding. Uh, That will clear up something for her. That will get her in the ledge. The other issue, though, is party unity. Because while she won Thursday night, it was not as easy as as it may have seemed beforehand. She got 41% of the vote on the first ballot. But it took till the sixth ballot before she could surpass the 50% threshold. This shows that amongst even the most activist UCP members, um, they're divided about Smith. And uh, so she narrowly crossed that line. The other, and this is probably the biggest, is she plans a dramatic remaking of the province in a very short period of time, uh, most notably with her Sovereignty Act. We don't know what will be the details of that because no bill has been presented. But based on her statements, based on uh, op-eds, based on some of the architects of the plan, it would allow the Alberta legislature to determine the constitutionality unilaterally of federal laws, federal court rulings, and um, federal regulatory decisions. Interesting. Myself and many other experts believe that would be fundamentally unconstitutional, including Jason Kenney, including many of her leadership rivals. So we'll have to wait and see what is actually entailed, because either it's as extreme as it's been described, or it's innocuous, And if it's innocuous, that could lead to some real blowback from the people who supported her. It's really interesting to me because Scott Moe, the premier of Saskatchewan, was on this program not long ago. He's a fairly regular contributor to this show. And uh, he said that he's not going to allow a caretaker government in Ottawa to determine agriculture and energy policies for the province of Saskatchewan, and they will challenge, and they will uh, definitely take on the feds, particularly in those two arenas. Sounds to me a little bit like it's related to the position of the Sovereignty Act. Possibly, but fighting the feds in court is a traditional tool that the provinces have, and sometimes they win those cases, such as over... Um, a Canadian-wide... Yeah, I didn't really get the sense from uh, Premier Mo that he was looking at going to the courts, Dwayne, necessarily. Yeah, uh, that would be, in my view, if, if Saskatchewan is doing that, just as dangerous as Alberta is doing okay, that. Okay, so now maybe I'm misinterpreting what the Premier said to me, but that's what I heard. Let me ask you this, uh, a couple of questions quickly here. Jason Kenney is not a fan of uh, Daniel Smith. How much of that is sour grapes? I, I think some of it is sour grapes, but I think the other is actual principle. I, I think he, um, you know, Jason Kenney launched a fight back strategy here in Alberta. But I think fundamentally he's a federalist. And I think fundamentally he believes in the rule of law and the Constitution. And so what, I, what he sees with Smith, I think, uh, offends his, his sensibilities. Uh, yes, I think there's some sour grapes that are being pushed out. But if it was sour grapes, he should be looking at Brian Cheney as much as Daniel Smith. Uh, so I think it's more than just losing. All right. I will be very interested to see what Kenny does, um, how long he remains in the in the caucus, 
or whether he decides, I just can't sit here on the far edges of the back benches for seven months and maybe it's time for me to go and do something else. Yeah. The Gulag is not a place for a former premier. Um, well, this is related to Alberta politics, but it's the nation. Do you get the sense that Canadians, the Canadian voters, are turning to the right? Oh, I don't think that's. Uh, I, I definitely believe that's the case. Whether that is the traditional backlash to a long government, um, because you know, in the late stages of the Conservative government, we started to see movement to the left across this country, and we didn't just see it with the election of Justin Trudeau, but we had Liberal NDP governments pretty much right across this country. Now, after you know, seven years of federal Liberals. We're seeing, you know, conservative governments in Quebec and conservative governments in Ontario being reelected. Um, you know, conservatives are uh, across the prairies. Yeah. Um, I think the the holdout is is BC. Um, you know, the conservatives are leading federally. So, you know, we go back and forth in these cycles, and it's largely fixed on on the on the federal government. All right. And once we get tired of them, we, we move one direction or the other. I'm not convinced Doug Ford is a conservative, but that's just me. <laughs> Doug Ford is Doug Ford. Doug Ford is Doug Ford. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.